Learning. <laughs> In honor of Old Guard, who or what is the best quote unquote immortal character? I'm at Patches, and man, I guess I should have gone with Apocalypse, but I'm going to go with Q. Not Q from QAnon, but Q from the Q Continuum. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I got to give it up to my boy, the literary Pennywise, a nightmare spider from beyond time and space, who only feel feared the turtle beam guardian. Sure. <laughs> uh, that makes sense if you've read The Dark Tower. I am David Ehrlich, and I, I'm going to need you guys to help me out here a little bit and, and rattle off some immortal characters, because I'm having a, a tough time thinking of any. I can think of characters who age in reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think of the family from Tuck Everlasting. I know you're a big fan of uh, Elia in Queen of the Damned as a vampire queen. Yeah, most de- oh, most deities vampire. and vampires are pretty immortal, so you could go that direction. Sure, 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 sure. Vampires... There's some good vampire characters that I like. Um, Tilda Swinton in Life. Oh, oh, there we go. That's the, that's a great answer. Tilda Swinton in li- in real life, and also in, only lovers uh, left alive. Only lovers left alive. Yeah. I was going to say the last life in the universe is a very different film. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Why not? She's cool. Cool. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, number 307, Pandemic 17, for the week of Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. On that day in 1999... Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the third book in the unauthored, the, yes, the, no one wrote these books, Harry Potter series, first published in the UK. Um, it's been that long. We've been living with Harry Potter for so long, and nothing happened to its reputation um, or its legacy. We're just nope. continuing to love Harry Potter. It's just like a notable historical event. It's kind of like, was- speaking of the Dark Tower, this is kind of what happens in the Dark Tower. Like, Harry Potter exists in it. Like, the golden mm-hmm. snitch exists in it, but it's not because of Harry Potter. Maybe in the future, Harry Potter will just be like the Book of Eli. Yeah, and we, <laughs> we get to mark uh, the anniversaries of when these books were just willed into existence by the public consciousness. Do uh, we have any reviews? Life of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. Like, imagine being that rich and successful and needing to stick your whole head up your ass. <laughs> you don't need to tweet. Just, that's, uh, yeah, that's a big Now is not the time. The whole point of capitalism is to become rich enough where you don't have to be on social media. <laughs> and She has a and, cause, David. You know, this is really, we should really I, I, use I, Katie's I, I, voice I, I, right I, now. <laughs> yeah. out, out the breast milk patches right now. <laughs> Uh, breast milk pouches, rather. <laughs> the breast milk patches. That was a good slip. Uh, the breast milk patches. Uh, yeah, also, there's. you may be able to hear the sound of a fan behind me, but I really care more about my comfort than I do anyone else's audio quality wow. right now. So I made an executive decision that everybody has to live with I'd it. I'd always suspect that. We do have some reviews, uh, and let's get to it. Speed Racer 2008 says... 
Since when was this a video game pod? Uh, hello, fighting in FITW. We're just fighting in the war. Uh, which is a lot of that's soon that's a few years away but yes uh long time listener first time reviewer my name is johnny and i'm a film student at emerson college i haven't written a review yet because i've been waiting for something to strike me so hard at my core that i am forced to zip to itunes please stop with all of this video game shenanigans Wait, do we have Roger Ebert on the phone? Johnny from, no, is this all like Johnny from Emerson College stick? Just Katie throwing her voice <laughs> to a random listener uh, on the one week that she's not here. Video games are mindless tools to release straight male aggression into, ho- into helpless, pixelated victims. Save that talk for Polygon. <laughs> I hear that The Last of Us is for all that is some sort of masterpiece of the art form. From your description, I fail to understand how it's not just another shoot 'em up fantasy realm. I think there may have been more to that sentence, but it, it ends there. My point is only emphasized by David being the only one to actually play the games for the pod. Instead of the countless hours spent playing video games, I suggest that David watches some of the masterful works of Yasuhiro Ozu on the Criterion channel. Yeah, David, you watch a film. Any on Letterboxd. Oh, my God. Uh, We've been schooled. We've been schooled. Uh, we mean, could watch a movie or two. We could stand this to do is that. A, um, a regular headache of mine for it's funny. There's like a whole generation of of letterbox users, which is a sentence that I just said uh, that really thinks that like the cinema, their experience with with film is a one to one ratio with everything they log on letterbox and uh, discount one that people had lives before letterbox two that they may not obsessively log everything they watch in the letterbox. And three, the obvious fact that I exclusively use my letterbox account to log things that I watch for work. Uh, but I'm more concerned about point one there than I am anything else. Uh, as though Wait, like there's some, I guess, I mean, there's so many people who have these exhaustive checklists online of literally everything they've ever seen and yeah. they make them publicly available and that's wonderful. But uh, you shouldn't presume that everyone is operating the same way. People keep following me heard- on letterbox and I have not used it in like three years and I feel... I- I feel bad. Like I, I yeah, feel I don't know what you guys are now. talking about. I've only seen one movie my entire life. It was Clash of the Titans, <laughs> and I letterboxed it. Yeah, and I letterboxed it. I have a very peculiar relationship with uh, Letterbox and the Letterbox fan base, and nothing. It doesn't annoy me, but nothing. Uh, it, it strikes me as odd more than when people tweet at me or, or otherwise contact me and said they love my reviews on Letterbox, which. It's just strange to me because Letterbox is so clearly just a repository for the professional work that I do uh, for IndieWire, and I only post a portion of each review onto Letterbox before linking it, a point that I've been made fun of uh, constantly, but refuse to budge on because uh, that's just how I use the service. And uh, it, it's there's a disconnect there between what I'm doing and how people perceive it. But I really enjoy you know that that community exists and that people can find my work there. So I'm not complaining, but it's always been I- amusing to me. Um, but on the topic of Letterbox, says Speed Racer 2008, I just want to redeem myself for usually sticking up. Oh, this is getting better. For usually sticking up for you, David. When my film school friends tried to make fun of you for one of your cringy Letterbox reviews. Oh, there's nothing I love more than the, drag. the idea <laughs> that uh, not only are people finding people my People are cracking cringy. beers and smoking oh, weed yeah. in their dorm rooms and being Sitting like, fucking being David like, sucks. <laughs> Did you see what he said on Letterbox? Pat Mook. Uh, I've made peace with this happening a long time ago. But, um, always nice to be reminded. I tell them, listening to Fighting in, again, Fighting, I, FITW. 
um, he elaborates on his hot takes. I would usually say far less articulately here than I'm able to do in writing, but uh, maybe others disagree. All that aside, I want to thank you all for your wonderfully insightful podcast. I especially want to thank the incomparable Katie Rich for always being the voice of reason, Uh-oh. except for this week when she is not here. Uh, I enjoy hearing everyone's opinions, but yours always seem to align most with mine. And David now interjecting, I would say probably uh, more than anything else, her opinion that we shouldn't talk about video games on this podcast or really anywhere <laughs> else. Um, because they are, of course, a tool of the uh, heterosexual male hegemony. Uh, okay, this review was helpful, yeah, in like hurting uh, my soul and, and making me miss my uh, therapy sessions that I used to have time for before having a kid. And playing now video I have games. This- now we have the pandemic check-in tidbits on this podcast, which has replaced uh, our need for therapy. So, uh, yeah, review very helpful. I'm reporting several concerns, but mostly to myself. Uh, Darby Axe says, amazing, great film podcast. Time for my sixth annual Fighting in the War Room review. Wow. Uh, and Mater, wow. <laughs> this oh, wow. year, I'm at, uh, man, a big Owen Wilson weekend in this house. We watched Armageddon, but I should save that for the pandemic check-in. Uh, and this year, it's a Mad Men question. My wife and I are watching the show, Her for the First Time, during quarantine, and we just reached the end of season three. In parentheses, I will miss Sal, don't we all? But I wanted to know everyone's thoughts on their favorite episodes or seasons, question mark. If you're feeling as frisky as Don when he meets a young brunette, oh boy, uh, <laughs> could you even rank the seasons? Thanks for making a great podcast. It feels like I get to catch up with my film friends each week. Y'all keep me going. Thanks. Rank the to rank- seasons? I, I don't even remember what happened in each season. No, that's blasphemy and uh, mute your mic. I wish I could do it for you. But the uh, I, I couldn't rank the season. It would be like ranking the chapters in a great novel. It kind of feels like a futile exercise that is only applied to visual medium. But uh, um, I think they're all. Which is the season where Don excellent. came up with the good slogan and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Season, season three <laughs> is wonderful. I think like. You know, a lot of these shows, the top tier shows really hit their strides in the middle traditionally, although my favorite episode is bad, very uh, basically um, the wheel uh, at the end of season one, the season finale of season one. Um, but, you know, the suitcases up there, I mean, my opinions about Matt Men tend to run the basic and I wouldn't be able to rattle off every episode that came to mind. It's pretty excellent across the board. Um, but, yeah, it's all fucking, it's all good. Dave, are you mad? Are you are you Mad Men inclined? Uh, I don't think I could rank the seasons because I don't think I've watched it uh, all the way through recently. But it has been you know around because Java was watching it a little while back. Right, that's right. She was watching it out of order, but then as I was preparing to throw my body off the ledge, you told me that it was not her first time Correct. the show. She was just doing like a greatest hits. Uh, but the suitcase is pretty great, uh, both suitcase. for like. At what it is as an episode structurally and how it's played uh, between uh, Elizabeth Moss and John Hamm. Um, I like it a lot. The episode, and I think I may have mentioned this episode recently when we were talking about Java watching Mad Men, where Martin Luther King is assassinated and he takes Bobby to the movies and sort of realizes his the dynamic that he's had with his own son uh, we must have talked about this because I was talking about it in relation to having a kid of my own and to the listener who chided me last week and the week before that I'm <laughs> mentioning uh, being a parent every episode. I'm just trying to tick the boxes here, buddy. Uh, but that, Imagine that sitting in an Emerson dorm room that listening to you flood. talk about your children. Yeah, I do. Jesus. I do want to double back and give a shout out to all my fans at Emerson. Uh, 
you know, when the choir is over, you guys, let's let's all fucking do whatever you guys do at Emerson. <laughs> yeah. Go to your, your dweeby film parties. And it's like when someone, someone in Letterboxd recently came up with that, you know, the age-old adage. In, it's always response to the review of like a Marvel movie. That's like, you must be fun at parties. And every time I see that, I'm just like, what sad fucking parties are you going to where you're discussing the ins and outs of Captain America, Civil War in the corner? Even even uh, if you're at Emerson College. Where is that? In, in Boston. In Boston? That all makes too much sense. The town. Okay. Are there more reviews? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, finally. Finally. This is turning into a Mad Men episode. <laughs> Rambling. No, it's not, not anywhere near that clever, I'm afraid. Uh, Robert Frost, the, the famous Robert Frost, who we teased uh, on last week's episode. Not made fun of, but teased the... Uh, the upcoming Robert Frost. Uh, it says, great podcast, but stay out of politics if you're just going to neo-lib. Okay, I now recant the great part of this <laughs> rules. Let it wash over me. Uh, y'all, I hold such a deep respect of, for each of your knowledgeable... Uh, sorry, I, 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 this is my bad, Robert Frost. Y'all, I hold such a deep respect for each of your knowledge and insights, which is why it was so incredibly disappointing to hear the discussion on everyone's most controversial topic, fireworks. Like, why talk about it at all if you're going to say such obviously naive things like the United States government is incapable of getting like 200 guys to go around to the 50 most concentrated areas of protest in the country and set off some fireworks. If you truly want to think of yourselves as progressive, stop shilling corporate neolib sentiments like our government should ne- would never do that to us. Did we say that? Have you ever talked to a black political activist or organizer? Why don't you do all of us a favor and do some reading about Cointel Pro? Uh, excuse me, I saw Seaberg. All right, I, I have a very different memory I mean, from how the fireworks I, I, segment went down. Yeah, didn't it end with me recommending a film about police bombing? I was just all like, the police do this, and like, I like it. This maybe it seemed like a dumb conspiracy, but like, of course, the police would do this. I feel like this that was even my sentiment, and I was I was calling the rhetoric on Twitter like almost MAGA QAnon, uh, in, but not to in underscore tone. Robert Frost, but. Haven't a number of articles come out in the last week that confirm that this was not a massive government operation? There was just a bunch of kids blowing up. Uh, I mean, that I've talked to because they live immediately behind me and confirm the report I read in the New York Times that uh, this was not a. Uh, I feel like we would have found government. out by now because couldn't can't you yeah. go outside and check? That's, anyway, that was like I, I really, I really hate to reaffirm Robert Frost's point here, uh, but he does still have, or they, I should say, or Thon as uh, the the protagonist of Charlie Kaufman's upcoming novel Jesus. would put it. Uh, that's a reference. Uh, we still have half a review here to read. Anyway, back to Cointel Pro and everyone's favorite movie, Seaberg. Uh, and the CIA is flooding cocaine into black communities in the 80s, right? To fund a secret coup in Nicaragua and read the new Jim Crow and then try and talk about whether or not the government can handle some piddly ass fireworks? Jesus. Uh, I did not know that Boots Riley listened to our podcast, but we should uh, probably go to Emerson. That's, is that why he's following me on Twitter? Could be. He I'm very excited for Boots Riley's Boot, Boot Riley's new TV show. Um, uh, it sounds wild, and uh, I look forward to really anyone's new TV show at this point. But yes, <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know if you all just don't get it or intentionally not getting it. But this '90s Democrat type thinking isn't really the wave anymore. So if you all could catch up, we'd be much obliged. So we don't have to listen to pop culture critics we like do their best to incorporate the reinforcement of white supremacy into their weekly radio hour. In caps, read some books. Now, I just want to say, first on Dave's behalf, first and foremost, you like us, and honestly, 
that's really all that matters <laughs> when it comes to life. My ego is way too fragile that anything after you like us is white noise. But um, I don't remember our firecast, our firecast, our fireworks segment going down quite like that. Although uh, I, I take your point, I don't think that we are necessarily the '90s era Democrats that you suggest we are. But I do think in this particular case, um, while I can recognize why people were reaching for conspiracies and honestly in these wild and uncertain times stranger things have happened but i think in this particular case by and large uh or maybe i should say the opposite and just in my neighborhood it seems like that wasn't uh what was happening but dave why don't you chime in oh yeah i just i don't think that was my position on the segment at all or to how the segment came out i don't want to i didn't want to you know quash on anybody's hopes who was like you guys are making up a crazy conspiracy, but I do think in the segment we brought up that like these things are not conspiracies. They're you know it's Zootopia, and uh, <laughs> everybody needs to just wake up to the idea that uh, that's one of the things we could look at first instead of like blaming the community, which I think was all in the segment. Uh, but I apologize for I guess I don't know. Whatever. There's, there's always you, you can always go listen to Red Scare or Chapo Trap House. Both of the podcasts talk about movies. Uh, but I, I also think you know, as we say on the show from time to time, that once artists, which in this case we so clearly are, release their work into the world, it is no longer theirs to say what. That's it right. It's not really the author's so, fireworks uh, anymore. While while <laughs> I feel that that was not the intention. Uh, of our fireworks segment. It was not the message that we were putting out there. If Robert, pa- Robert Frost disagrees, especially with a name like that, who are we to argue Not only them? should we not argue, I'm I'm interested in the take. I'd, I'd read a longer dissection of our Why don't we encourage tendency. Robert Frost along with the entire uh, film community of Emerson College to call into our next call-in <laughs> episode. We'll make sure that you have a direct line to Patches oh. so we can right into the episode and we will hash all this out live on the air shout out to my bros at emerson shout out to uh to fred hampton shout out to everyone involved in coital pro on the non-fbi side of things uh let's get on with the show And we're back for a pandemic check-in. More specifically, Patches is back. Patches, hey, I went on vacation. We're gonna talk, hey, hey, we're going to talk about Hamilton um, later on for segment three. But as, in a way of keeping an orderly pandemic check-in, uh, I'm going to ask a two-part question. Oh. Don't answer the first part until I've asked both questions. Oh, okay. Part number one, how was your vacation? Part number two, what was something you watched this week? Yeah, I actually logged off. My wife told me I wasn't allowed to podcast because I should really take a, a real vacation. And and it felt like a real vacation. I drove out east to Long Island. I socially distanced on a beach and built sandcastles with my daughter. Twitter was not part of my life for like 10 days because I have... I think I said this at the beginning of the year. that one, like My resolution has been to delete off my phone and try and distance socially distance myself from twitter as much as possible and uh i have successfully deleted it and kept it off logged out of my browser 
these are the accomplishments in the year 2020 for me. <laughs> um, and I was just far behind all conversations. Uh, and it was a wonderful place to be. I was, you know, taking going on vacation with a two and a half year old means you, you don't really do much relaxing and vacationing. Um, but luckily, sand is a very distracting uh, expansive toy. So I got to read some books, uh, which, which is a, also a rare thing. Um, I want to, I read, I read two books. Well, actually in the span of my vacation, I, I read a few books, but, um, one Dave, I want to recommend directly to you. Um, Ooh. have you read black leopard red wolf by Marlon no. James? Have you heard of I have this not. book? I have not. Um, Marlon James, uh, in the in the lead up to the release, said he was re- writing like an African Game of Thrones, and I think that anyone who loves Game of Thrones should read this book. It's six hundred some pages. It's a big tome. It's the beginning of a new series, and I don't. I think it's more expansive than than Game of Thrones. It's certainly more like mythological, full of kind of remixed African history and mythology, um, but it has to do with kind of warring kingdoms and political tension and various characters who are on missions. The, the central mission is uh, this tracker, this guy tracker is is trying to find a kid who has been, who has gone missing. Um, it's, you know, there's so many threads in the story, obviously. That's just one little bit of a 600-page novel. The, the, the real thing that I was surprised about is he seems to, and Marlon James has given interviews about this too, that, you know, he wasn't reading Tolkien when he was a kid. He was reading comic books. And this book I'd say is less African game of Thrones than like African fantasy X-Men. That's how it feels. Like it feels like different characters with different powers who are teaming Wait, up. Hold on. You're saying that you're saying that a, a modern uh, artist of some kind grew up reading comic books became a novelist it's possible they're not just the uh fuel of of aggressive white men like video games are um yeah no uh black leopard red wolf i grew up playing video games and now i'm a novelist you really (laughs) are we're 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 probably like a decade out (laughs) i mean seriously uh apparently michael b jordan has bought the rights to this and i really hope it becomes a big sprawling High, big budgeted TV show. If we're still making those uh, in a few years, um, it's really, really cool. And Dave, I think you would dig it. Um, what did I watch? What did I watch? Well, I did watch Hamilton. We're going to discuss that later. Um, I got to be honest. I, I watched a lot of uh, when I'm out uh, at the beach and watching a lot of like game shows <laughs> that are on TV on on Game Show Network. In I'm watching a lot of Password. Uh, I think we had a quarter quell where I talked about my love for trivia and. I don't have cable at home, and but I find myself like sitting in front of Password and Press Your Luck and other uh, game shows from like the 70s and 80s, uh, a lot of Betty White panel shows, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so that is mostly what I watched. I watched some movies for this movie club that I'm part of. I don't think I need to go into Jumpin' Jack Flash starring Whoopi Goldberg. Not too much to uh Oh, yeah, you're only picking bad movies movie club. Yeah, for, I don't know why. I have no idea why. Um, but I got to bring up a video game. I mean, it's only fair. Now that uh, I've been... I've been Think of the poor kids at Emerson Patches. But here's the thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm... Well, first off, there's not a lot to watch. Well, that's not true. I've been watching a lot of screeners for things that are about to come out, so I can't talk about them yet. But I'm very excited to talk about. There's a not only I, not only have you read several books, 
but you're watching screeners of shows that haven't even come out. <laughs> I know. Yet. I mean, flexing there. Swagger is just wafting. There's off good you. movies coming. I'm so excited to talk about them, but I can't yet. Um, so that is why I've been playing Golf Story. Have you heard of Golf? Has anyone heard of Golf Story? I think I've- is that the uh, is that like the crazy golf game where after every swing the game kind of radically changes? No, but that sounds fun, and I should figure out what that is because that game's called something like Crazy Golf Game or something yeah. simple like that. It's fitting after being accused of being a neoliberal that I'm about to talk about how I'm getting more into golf. Um, it just feels right uh, after playing the NES. Arguing. The I don't know if that was necessarily an unfair accusation. All things considered, <laughs> that is uh, after after. Spending a lot of time on my Switch NES store playing the 1992 Super Golf or whatever it's called. Um, I've, I've pivoted to Golf Story, which was a recommendation from Polygon Friends. Um, it's a, it's kind of like an RPG, you know, it, it's 8-bit, uh, kind of Zelda style walk around the map. RPG, um, except you're playing golf instead of defeating monsters and going into, uh, uh, caves or whatever. And, uh, I love it. I just, I couldn't get enough. I just played the whole thing through. I think I like t- clocked 24 hours over my vacation, uh, perfecting my slices into harsh winds. And, and the, the style of the game is really into Monkey Island. If you're into the old LucasArts games, especially Monkey Island, just the funny writing. Um, this game is chock full of it. I loved it. I had such a good time. And now I gotta get, figure out whatever, golf game david is recommending i ha- I feel this urge to now watch golf on tv too like i don't know what's happening to me what is, uh, i'm getting old i just want to watch people hit balls and be like it's really sm- Wait, yeah, slow yeah, and peaceful you aren't a neoliberal i know yeah you could watch you could watch so much more of consequence why can't golf be a young person's thing you have all the ozu movies you could be watching instead of watching fucking golf golf is We're definitely not a spectator sport is there a letterbox for boring sports <laughs> yeah, i bet I it was just, so what you should like do it so we could you know get some emerson cred around here yeah. is we need to find you like a online archive or repository of old museum visual installations because then i bet you'll just have like hours of things that like loop and you're supposed to watch them like 56 times before you like get them emotionally and i feel like but then it's not you the asmr like- factor it's not the it's not the recurring images of golf that i find enthralling i just it feels mathematical to me it reminds me of watching uh donald in math magic land like you, you have to you know hit to the play. ball in a certain direction you know the wind is going to come in i was also on my vacation reading string <laughs> theory the collection of david foster wallace essays about tennis yeah. um and and That's tennis you, and golf are intertwined well with me. And I'm like, donald in math magic land uses <laughs> pool which yes, is you, the actual game you're talking about because golf is not a spectator's sport you can't look at it and be like here's what i would do in that situation yes you and then can if they do, no no you can uh, I mean, but then they, if somebody is, if they do something else there's no can. you haven't observed sportsmanship no but the, the thing about golf is with with billiards or pool you could look above in donald mathematic land we have these kind of above shots and you can calculate exactly where they what you're saying you you can be more involved in the process you can know where they should hit it in golf yes. you you can't you can only wonder it's a, a sport yes. of imagination yeah you it is to, not a you, spectator sport no, that it makes is it more, you it have it more to play. cinematic to have to wonder how exactly they'll do it and how Absolutely land must not. be like there. It's virtual For the experience. exact reason that bowling is not a spectator sport. These <laughs> are not games. Bowling great to watch on TV. Well, no, no, okay. no. These are not games that you could watch and be like, look at that great skill. Bowling, look at bowling that is, athlete. Bowling is okay, not no, a the difference show. between 
in bowling and golf is that there are no variables in bowling. Zero. Every fucking time you go up there, no matter where you're bowling in the world, it is the same distance from where you are to the pins. It's the same wood paneling, the same balls. There is nothing to change. In golf, there are, you're always on a different course. The wind speeds are different. The weather is different. There are all these okay, okay, like things about the sport. Professional bowlers, let me finish, do not bowl a 300 every single game. It's fucking embarrassing, and they should all be ashamed of themselves. I'm saying bowling and golf are two sports where if you just look at a breakdown of the results of the game and know how to read it, you've actually seen the fucking game more than somebody who's watched every roll or stroke. Because you can't sit there and be like, Oh, you're like, you could be like, I bet he like sliced that nine iron, but you don't actually know That's because you can't. why it's more cinematic. You don't know how they're pulling the strings. You can only imagine and, and try and have the virtual experience of, of golf. You know? But Patches, do you play golf? I played a little golf when I, I tried to play a little golf when I was younger. And I'm also feeling that tug. I'm like, should I get out on the links and do – That's and I'm it. like, wait. You I, should play golf. I can't. The, th- the things you're talking about means that you should play golf because it seems like you would have an enjoyable time doing it if you could just watch it I'm because scared. watching it's trash. You can be golf, really bad I mean, at golf. Golf should be capitalizing on the fact that it is one of the least coronavirus-affected yep. Well, they did because they were the first things to open all around the country. Yeah, and, and you can. I mean, I believe there is live golf on TV now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can. David, go come out and, to New Jersey. Let's go golfing. Watch the I marble mean, races or something. Come out to New Jersey part, but if uh, if there were a uh, golf course closer to my home, you know, I'd, I'd go for a good walk ruined or whatever they say. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move this along, David. What was something you watched <laughs> or digested this week? Um, what have I digested this week besides several tubs full of Talenti's pumpkin pie ice cream? Truly sublime. Another ba- another baby week? That sounds heavy. It's not. Uh, 330 calories a serving, uh, effervescent, I would say. Uh, really delightful, and I'm doing everything in my buying power to convince all my local markets that it is not a seasonal flavor. Uh, ooh, I got an email. It's, Bur- uh, it's from I- Berkeley. They're like, stop it. Um, it is the uh, dean of Emerson College asking me to come speak, and giving me a very hefty honorarium. I will have this Although the progressives this. will uh, protest your arrival, and you'll be miloed out of there yeah, for, oh, being no. in, for being in the other For one of my cringy letterbox takes. <laughs> uh, with that many takes, some of them have got to be cringy. It's simple math. Uh, I, I, uh, as I may have talked about in a previous episode, my, my wife has been as sort of a Saturday night ritual, filling in the gaps of like, 80s 90s cheese action movies that she missed the first time around because she was doing more worthwhile things their childhood uh, we've watched escape from new york which absolutely does not hold up um we have uh, although it did influence my beloved uh solid snake but uh we and i have better memories of escape from la which i used to watch on cable all the time as you revisit we watched point break and uh what else did we watch a number of films, but uh, we watched Armageddon this weekend, which I would put in the Escape from New York category. Woof. Although, uh, two very special things about Armageddon I want to pull out. Uh, one is that Steve Buscemi gets diagnosed with something called space dementia when he's on the asteroid uh, and is restrained. It's actually a very similar role to what he plays in Con Air, which is the movie we watched a couple weeks ago. Um, space dementia, no one bats an eye. 
Um, and uh, the other is, and I would really encourage anyone listening to this to go and seek this clip out on YouTube. When Bruce Willis dies, uh, there is a montage that is so far out of Michael Bay's comfort zone wheelhouse and capabilities <laughs> that it really has to be seen to be believed. Uh, it's like his life flashes before his eyes, but it's really just a bunch of like perfume commercial, like shots of his daughter, Liv Tyler reaching out for him and like playing in a wheat field. It is just truly embarrassing in a way that I'm ashamed that my 13 year old self did not start cackling in the theater. When I saw this, I was probably like, this is art. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, Armageddon. If, if Armageddon hasn't worked its magic on you by that point in the movie, you're it's lost. Also like uh, the way you land these films, it goes a long way. I mean, Deep Impact, much has been made about how there's sort of the more sober and sensitive version to Armageddon's like pure summer popcorn movie spectacle. But in both those films, major world cities are wiped off the face of the planet towards the end. In Deep Impact, it's really the entire eastern seaboard of the United States. In Armageddon, it's Paris. And I would imagine the fallout from that meteor uh, has a pretty deleterious effect on a lot of Europe. And, but in Deep Impact, there's a real sense of, you know, that beyond Morgan Freeman's speech, if we're going to rebuild, we, you know, uh, we will endure. There, there's still a, a profound sense of loss. Characters that we know and supposed to care about die. Uh, it is depressing. But in Armageddon, Paris is just absolutely nuked to the Stone Age. And all that really matters is that Ben Affleck gets to make out with America Tyler. America is all. saved. And, America, America. It's a very uh, prescient movie in that sense. Uh, I also wanted to double back because I, oh, I just heard my baby crying. I powered through the rest of Terrace House, Aloha State, and started Terrace House, Boys and Girls in the City. And I caught wind a little bit of the scandal around Terrace House, current and possibly episode and i'm wrestling internally our handful of viewers will be good will be happy to know with the uh ethical value of the show i'm trying to figure out did you put um, terrace house on letterbox you, i don't know um but you know terrace house is i think it, it has the veneer of being more real because of its pacing and anodyne nature than some of the other reality shows when it is in fact just as produced as those shows are, a lot of its conflicts, uh, you know, even if they're to a much smaller degree than we were expecting from like the, the Real Housewives, uh, are generated, if not scripted. But um, the girl who who killed herself, uh, who was a cast member on Terrace House's current episode, was the victim of cyberbullying. And as I mentioned on a previous episode of the show, what's unique about Terrace House is that the the people on the show are allowed to go about their daily lives. They still have access to their cell phones. They can watch episodes of the show as they air, even if they're still on the show. And so the feedback loop of social media response can, can be uh, a lot more immediate than it would be for other reality show stars. I'm not sure how guilty Terrace House is in facilitating that. I'm sure people would be happy to let me know. Um, but uh, I, I have to say that it's, uh, it's still kind of a bomb for me at the moment and the fact that i still have so many episodes left to go is uh comforting in in the pandemic but uh i think like all terrace house fans worldwide uh i am open to reevaluating you know whether or not the show is too unfavorable to keep watching but uh, i was happy for taishi that he finally got together with chicago even though he is literally the most as i believe i saw an article mentioned him on the internet the most extra man who has ever lived and then i Oh, also mind blowing. Sorry, this will be the end of it. I he and Chicago I learned have 
broken up after they got engaged after the show. But the, there's finally a very sort of vintage reality show person um, named Sherry who comes into the end of Terrace has a low estate and she starts a fight that seems like truly sociopathic. And I just Googled her yesterday to see what's going on. And it turns out that she just locked her letter or her letterbox, her Instagram. <laughs> was Unlocked on your letterbox. Her. Show us the reviews. <laughs> She took down her Instagram account after posting a video where she ranted about how George Floyd was an actor oh. along with all the other actors in that video. And it was all a, uh, a, a staged and he's not really dead and we need to open our eyes, sheeple. And I've never felt so vindicated about being coerced into hating somebody on a reality show. In my wow. life. <laughs> Did, anyway, I hope you're going outside and breathing air. Fresh air. I, I, I walk five miles with Asa every single day. Um, and I uh, have, even though it doesn't seem it when I look at my disgusting excuse for a body, uh, I have somehow lost 15 pounds during quarantine. Um, I'm still uh, just repulsive to look at. I don't think that's going to change, but uh, slightly more aerodynamic. I just need to do enough exercise so I can justify having my 330 calories of 20 pumpkin pie ice cream every night because I'm going to do that, uh, and I, I need to earn it. Anyway. Uh, and then I'm going to step in and say that I watched the entire first six-episode run of the Unsolved Mysteries reboot on Netflix. Unsolved Mysteries stopped airing in 2010 after starting airing in i think the mid 80s uh it's changed you know over the years uh but this new netflix reboot sort of puts it in the realm of netflix documentaries it says at the beginning a netflix documentary and uh you know i I like keeping up with these these netflix true crime documentaries and see what the service learns and it was really interesting to see unsolved mysteries because I have good memories of Unsolved Mysteries as it was syndicated at the proper time uh, to be in between when I would like get done with my homework after school, but before dinner. So I could get in some TV. Sometimes it was like Muppet Show, but occasionally it was also Unsolved Mysteries, which, you know, made me scared about like getting kidnapped or closing the blinds and all these sorts of things. Um, So I was trying to see what the new Netflix series would be like. And thought I would just sort of uh, dip my toes in it. I heard it was a new hostless format um, that you know focused a little bit more um, on the like lives of the victims, which is definitely true about all six of the episodes. But what I was not ready for is the first episode's just really fucking mysterious. Um, it's about a body that is found um in a room next to a like very tall 13 14 story hotel and there's a hole in the ceiling and it appears like the guy fell through the hole feet first like a pole and then landed in a way that you know the injuries from his fall crushed him but like his cell phone was intact and his glasses were intact all just very mysterious and they go, uh, you know, into it. But by the time uh, the first uh, hour-long episode was over, I was pretty well hooked. And so I was like, maybe I'll check out the second episode. And the nice thing about these six episodes is they're all like a different type of mysterious circumstance. Uh, a lot of them do involve, you know, murders and killings. Um, but uh, they're not all, um, 
you know, this is this one, like, it, isn't it weird? Like, we don't know how this body got here, which is basically the first episode. The second episode is a uh, missing person that has a very, very bizarre character that allowed himself to be interviewed uh, for this documentary. And it sort of, like, traces his mindset and the mindset of the son sort of deeper into the mystery. I have no doubt that some of these... Well, you know, I, I think one of them has already had its case re- been reopened by the uh, FBI since the episodes uh, premiered. Because of the show? What? Because of the show? Uh, just because of renewed interest. Because at the end of each of the shows, much like other old self mysteries, it tells you uh, what, uh, you know, police or FBI, if they have open investigations, if they don't, where you could contact, then you could give any tips at unsolved.com. Uh, the uh, case at the episode No Ride Home uh, has been reopened by the FBI uh, as I believe the, the reason it's the FBI is they, they think it might be a hate crime, but there's not a ton of evidence. But No Ride Home is an interesting episode because it's basically about what did these people at this party know. Um, it's just a really well done, I think, true crime series. And I think it maybe benefits a little bit uh, over the other Netflix ones because the nature of the show is you don't know the solution. So there is nothing to focus on really except the affected parties, how it affected their lives and what they think the solutions are, which I think is a really interesting way of adapting to like the current circumstance. Um, and then I also think uh, the circumstance of how we feel about police investigations especially because i think the show also sort of adapts that where it's never said out loud but the tone of the show and the way in which you get the narrative means you are inherently distrustful of the police narrative in all of these episodes which i thought was a really interesting take anyway unsolved mysteries got a 12 episode first season order the second six are going to be coming later this year i'm really interested to see if uh, they could go a full first season without uh, like overlapping the type of mysteries. Uh, there isn't like a straight up like kidnapping in these first six, which I remember was part of the original Unsolved Mysteries. But there's so no paranormal stuff? There is. Oh, there is. There is. There's one episode called Berkshire's UFO that is entirely paranormal, okay. but folds in... Yeah, it folds in um, the recent, uh, you know, discuss, uh, uh, releases from the U.S. military about them sort of admitting there are certain flying objects they don't know where it is. So it's very up to date. Have you watched any of All Be Gone in the Dark? I have. I've watched all of, uh, and I read the book. Is that what it's called? Am I getting it wrong? No, no. All Be Gone in the Dark is HBO. It's the uh, uh, East Area Rapist, a Golden State Killer documentary that's currently airing. So the East Area Rapist and the Golden State Killer are the same guy? Yes. Cool. Okay. Uh, the, the, docu- <laughs> the documentary itself is also about Michelle McNamara, the author who wrote the book about the Golden State Killer, whose research led to them actually catching the guy, and he uh, pled guilty, I believe, just a few weeks ago. Uh, but yep. the interesting thing about the documentary is that's actually kind of one of the points is the Golden State Killer is the name that she sort of coalesces the community around because he has so many different names, the original Night Stalker, the East Area Rapist. Uh, And because of that, people didn't, you know, see the magnitude that he did like 50 rapes 
and you know a couple not a couple several murders but from from what little i've seen of the show i've just been overwhelmingly impressed by michelle who passed away by her uh bravery in pursuing this and pursuing these cases these un you know these these cold cases and unsolved murders uh in a public facing way and maybe it's my imagination running wild sort of opening herself up to um you know whatever whatever vulnerability would come with with pursuing people like that uh and she was so doggedly determined um that it seemed like nothing would deter her from finding the truth uh, and then she did um yeah, yeah that's that's i think it's going to end up being one of the you know like core true crime texts sort of like uh what is it the killer beside me the the novel about the woman who ended up knowing ted bundy was it anyway uh the important thing uh i'll be on the dark unsolved mysteries both i think really good examples of um you know these cases are cold yeah, there's not any sort of like active investigation you're going to be interfering with. Do some web sleuth, some responsible web sleuthing is sort of what both of these things uh, sort of outline, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries jumped right to the top of Netflix's like watch list uh, this weekend when it was released, so hopefully it'll be helpful because it's certainly at least as entertainment, uh, good true crime, I think. And that's pandemic check-in. Let's talk about something else. guys want to talk about eurovision for like five minutes yeah uh yeah sure um all right so listen (laughs) there's this fucking eurovision movie on netflix people love it uh from what i could tell i believe it's called eurovision song contest the story of fire saga um i uh i watched it i reviewed it uh will ferrell rachel mcadams they are they are competing they're icelandic uh musicians she has in love with him his entire life. Uh, he's a dreamer who's trying to impress his very uh, difficult to impress father. Is played amusingly by the very non-Icelandic Pierce Brosnan. Uh, they dream of being in the Eurovision Song Contest. They get a chance once MacGruber style. Uh, all of the other contestants explode. Um, although I thought the movie was going in a more producers-like direction at first, where someone, the guy from Sex Education, I mean, it kind of uh, is. It still is after this. I mean, it is. And it weird. is. I thought it was going to commit. Less of a caveat when it was just going to be like, we can't, because whoever wins Eurovision has to host the following year, and Iceland decides that um, they they can no way support the 500,000 people that are going to come in for Eurovision, and so they can't afford to win, um, and they want to submarine their chances, but then all the other contestants explode. Um, And Dan Stevens shows up, and the girl who played Cassandra in Assassin's Creed Odyssey video games. Uh, shows up and uh, it's a little silly and I was uh, pretty unamused by it, but it became uh, a sensation on a very, very eager 
internet that is desperate for something. <laughs> patches. It sounds like uh, you were with me. On yeah, I was. I was. I'm just shocked. I just see so much praise for it, and I thought the movie's real long. I think it's like two hours. It's two hours and changed by director David Dobkin of Wedding Crashers and The Judge fame. Now, The Judge also a colossal. This is more of a half. Fred Claus situation for David Dobkin. Another Dobkin. Yeah. I was kind of astounded. Uh, many of our colleagues, who I won't name so that they can go on with their lives after this uh, scorching mini-segment, um, love this movie. Just like high praise and clicked it on. And my, I thought it just was endless and really, really boring and not funny. Um, the first hour is brutal. Uh, I think Will Ferrell's really funny. I think Rachel McAdams is a good actress. I also see a lot of takes about how she's been this kind of unsung comedic hero uh, i guess because she was in mean girls and wedding crashers i, I don't remember her having like a super no, but also funny I mean, vehicle game, game night was really her uh which one return game, oh, night. game night another movie uh, but my problem is, by. I, I felt like her i think she's a a, a very talented actress uh, even in, you know especially in comedy i think you know mean girls it's a really strong performance but in game night and eurovision I really just found her locked into one mode, yeah. which is essentially the, oh no, he died, uh, patter over and over and over. I mean, in this case, it's the elves, they've gone too far. I mean, it's the same kind of shtick that is, uh, she doesn't the get same jokes in the movie, I didn't think. The same accusation could be lobbed to Will Ferrell, but exactly as you say, he hogs a lot more of the stronger material, um, and is sort of the, the heart of the movie. But, uh, yeah, I just thought, like... And it's like another I Will Ferrell sports I, I movie. I mean, it's it's the same thing he's yeah. always done with fewer jokes. And then, finally, it gets to some of the original music and the music numbers, and, and it lights up, and it's kind of fun. It, like, yeah, just music numbers are strong. do the Eurovision. Even Ya Ya Ding Dong, the joke song that the locals at the Iceland bar where they perform demand they sing over and over and over again is solid yeah. stuff. But I wonder also, Patches, how how much tolerance we still have for 90s aughts era comedies that just sort of make fun of a group of people for being the way that they are. I mean, like, and there are only so many of those groups that are still uh, easy pickings that, you know, you can still do without there being an uproar. And I think, um, you know, Will Ferrell playing a uh, backwater Icelandic uh, boy with a dream is, is one of them, but you know, and I think the movie is, is not mean spirited at all. Um, and even, you know, as it kind of comes dangerously close to gay panic or something close to that with uh, Dan Stevens character pulls away and in a way that has, ha- lets it have its cake and eat it too. But so much of the movie in the first hour is just sort of like making fun of them for being these, you know, Icelandic yokels, which, uh, uh, you know, is, is not. <laughs> accurate representation of life in Iceland. And even though, again, the cinematography and the way they shoot Iceland makes me so desperate to be one of many things that makes me desperate to be there rather than here right but now. How can it, ma- it doesn't uh, make you feel that way because the whole they, thing appears to be shot in like a volume. Everything is CG in this movie. It's bizarre. No, that's not, that's not true. As, as, uh, uh, listen, if you can brag about reading 11 books and watching great movies that aren't out yet, I can, uh, you know, rhapsodize about my trip to Iceland last oh, no. year, which was... No, no, I'm saying it's fake uh, in the movie. I'm saying it's fake in the movie, David. No, but I'm saying that the Iceland segments are not. It is very clearly just what Iceland looks like. Well, no, like, um, I know that they went to a small village uh, and that the church the scenes are real, but then they have the these white like shots that are just like... Whales that jump in sync. Gee. 
Uh, no, but that's what I'm saying. That's what Iceland looks like. It is completely beautiful. And the, the movie is a really lush, accurate representation of at least the landscape of Iceland, Iceland. save for the two whales that dance and jump in the air in sync. You know, down. I'm sorry. You're- that I didn't see. I missed the puffins. I did. The movie does have sort of a glossy green screen veneer in some of the later scenes, but they did shoot all of the, they shot, there's like an Israel unit. They shot in Edinburgh. Um, you know, they use that, they flex that Netflix money. Um, but it's just a lot of, a lot of jokes that I feel like I kind of got out of my system when, uh, we were all back in that phase where laughing at that kind of shit was funny. And I'm not saying that I was offended by any of this. It doesn't have the Christopher Guest, like, it does appreciate, it does love Eurovision. I mean, I think Will Ferrell clearly loves Eurovision and wanted to make this movie as a, as a love letter. But you're right. It's it's it doesn't have it's not embedding itself in the culture. I still don't know how Eurovision works. It'd be a great mockumentary in the Christopher Guest mode. But as a Will Ferrell sports comedy that just has singing instead of basketball or or figure skating, it's kind of it's yeah. kind of dull and it stupid. It either needed to lean much harder into the Eurovision of it all or scrap that part of it. Entirely I mean, the best scene in the movie is just a bunch of old Eurovision participants singing a medley of of catchy 80s tune and 70s tune. It's, it's like i did enjoy the very first scene where pierce brosnan <laughs> i think forces his way through a few lines in icelandic <laughs> in order to fit in with this intentionally scandinavian family around him um who the fireworks have started robert frost listen closely <laughs> uh the um yeah anyway i was i i want to laugh right now as much as anybody Damn. uh and I, reading, reading, uh, even though I have still not anywhere close to making up my mind about it, reading Charlie Kaufman's novel has been is the one time that I found myself like really laughing out loud at, at some piece of art. All right, that's not what the segment's about because this segment's tangent. Eurovision. Get a dose of dirty cold to go, been cold since cold flow. Got a wire to enlarge and I'll set a fire down below. I hang it up when you say sorry, didn't know. Probably got a year, ten to go, so let's go. I don't really know how to go slow. Just got done That's the only part I can say because I cannot Patches. But I did it louder. That's the secret to podcasting, Patches. Patches is amongst uh, the many people who have a Disney Plus subscription who finally got access to a filmed version of the stage musical Hamilton that was filmed back in June, I believe, of 2016 uh, with nine cameras was going to be a theatrical event but uh, thanks to a spreading virus and Disney Plus having all the money, we now have Hamilton like 12 to 15 months before I think we were supposed to have it in theaters. Streaming on Disney Plus, I got to see it for the first time after being like obsessed with the soundtrack and like having bought the script book uh, and having entered the lottery. Every day it was here in Denver to not even get a chance at tickets. I was thrilled, but Matt Patches... You bought the script one of those... book without yeah. seeing it. I did, because I wanted to know what I wasn't seeing, despite, you know, having the soundtrack. Because uh, I think when, you know, I guess you 
it'd be hard to prove me wrong because you did the you you watched the stage show first and tried to stay oblivious to Hamilton otherwise. But one of my pitches when I was trying to get people to listen to the soundtrack and why I think a lot of people did listen to the soundtrack early is the original cast recording basically takes you through the entire plot because the play is basically wall to wall music. Yeah. It's an so opera. therefore the yeah, the cast recording is a fair representation uh, but I don't think the best one, uh, because I think that has to be obviously in the theater, followed up by this uh, v- television version or Disney Plus version. Not not a theatrical release, but who? Anyway, not important. Patches who uh, committed to not engaging with Hamilton in any way, shape, or form, even harder than he did to avoiding any sort of pre-release imagery for The Force Awakens. <laughs> uh, his other. <laughs> Famous, Dave was mentioning uh, this to me off podcast earlier that this or uh, somebody else told me that it was like a bigger feat than the Star Wars blackout. But I'm like, the Star Wars blackout involved leaving movie theaters while trailers were playing and like staying offline, which is very difficult. Ham- avoiding Hamilton. Why do you think it was would be intrusive? Like all I'd have to do is not be part of the biggest cultural moment of 2015 it it was more it wasn't as difficult to literally avoid the visual representations or or the music from this as it was to avoid star wars it was to it was harder i think and and certainly over a longer period of time to deny yourself uh your your curiosity in knowing what this was and that it was so ubiquitous and people were so excited about it that uh it, it you know, felt like you must have been on the outside of something. I was uh, wait, for like five years, a long time. But, yeah, but and but had you always sort of circled this on your calendar as the thing that was going to bring you into it? I mean, not until what three weeks ago or like a month ago when it was. A- I don't mean this particular oh, okay. day. I mean the event. Um, what do you mean the event? Like the the were movie you trying to like try to see it on stage yeah, first? I, or were you? I guess I thought I might see it on stage, but. I was too frugal to pay like $800 for a ticket to it in Broadway. That It always seems preventative. And then I moved away from New York and, and it was like, yeah. and you have a kid. And I'm like, when am I going to go to the theater? Uh, somehow I made time for Groundhog Day, the musical, and not Hamilton. Um, <laughs> so it goes. They were cheaper. Um, I guess I, I, I didn't know that this day was coming. I didn't really think that this was possible, to be honest, um, because Broadway is so finicky with recordings and, and releasing shows. This is really it's pretty unprecedented, right? Uh, they want to be able to tour these shows forever and, and keep it on Broadway. It was still running hot when uh, everything shut down because of coronavirus. Um, I didn't imagine getting to see this in a movie theater, and I'm glad or see it at Disney Plus, uh, whatever see it filmed by by people who with a molecular understanding of the show uh, it just seems impossible it's not what broadway does and somebody gave me an interesting fact today that like 2.1 million people have seen hamilton in a theater at this point and just imagine how many people will see it now on disney plus it seems like a good thing it's not the same i i haven't seen the show in a theater and i know it's not the same uh as seeing it uh, in a theater the energy will never be replicated um and something i mean i don't want to start off on the wrong foot because i really enjoyed hamilton it's a great show and i really enjoyed watching it uh who, who directed the play and the movie version um, thomas, thomas kale. kale i always get his name wrong Tom, thomas kale. and um i i love what he did with a lot of the direction one thing i didn't like about the movie oddly enough is that they keep the audience 
really present. It's not just that they're filming in front of a live audience and you get some clapping here and there. It's like hoots and hollers for all the actors coming out. It was filmed in, I think, June 2016, so pretty at, towards the end of the run for the original cast, I believe. Um, and people are just going wild for every actor coming out and every number coming up. It's like so much. I mean, it's a real it's fan. A, uh, it's a real fan document. It's a more of a phenomenon it is, document. Though, in fairness, a very, very accurate representation of what it's like to see the show. I would I be mean, annoyed. And mercifully, you don't, uh, well, you won't have a choice in the matter. In the event that you go and see it. I know. But immersively, you don't see the audience in the movie. Um, it's more just meant to complete the experience of what it would be like to be in that theater and have an impossibly good seat. But uh, yes, when Alexander Hamilton comes out, whether or not it's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda or Javier Munoz or whoever, those are the only two Hamilton's second name, um, the show is stopped for uh, you know what feels like a minute of applause. It is how it goes. The laughs are... Uh, uh, roaring, it's it's yeah, and I know that's something that would happen in the theater too, but def- it doesn't mean necessarily the right choice of the movie, but I'm saying it is that it is would, how it, it would goes. annoy me in the theater too. Um, but yeah, this this is not how I imagined watching it, but it, it, I thought it was an absolute pleasure. It's two hours and 40 minutes, and I sat there without looking at my phone. I, I can't remember the last time I sat and watched something at home where I was pretty enthralled and uh, you can't look away from hamilton it's moving too quickly the lyrics are just rolling out as dave said you know the the operatic uh, approach means if you if you go to the bathroom or if you look at your phone for a second you're going to miss something all the story and the words are spilling out too quickly um and i appreciate that i i, I really love the style here i didn't expect you know, obviously some things about Hamilton permeated my cultural understanding without doing anything. I, well, I knew it was a musical and I obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda has exploded with into fame since this show came out. I, I'm trying to do the timeline. I guess Moana, he must have been starting on work on Moana before Hamilton really kind of blew up because that's a 2016 movie too, right? So no, Hamilton, Hamilton, I mean, I, can't say for certain, but Hamilton blew up in 2015. Right. I mean, but don't you need to was, write songs for an animated movie like three years in advance? I don't know how that works. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a long timeline, but I believe at least the news came out long after I already knew who Lin-Manuel Miranda was. But it wouldn't be, I mean, he was already, you know, he'd already written uh, In the Heights. Sure. He was not sure. an unknown so it, it certainly wouldn't be uh, beyond the scope of imagination. I think he was Maybe going viral for Hamilton performing for obama if i recall i don't recall well that was that was a long yeah, time that was ago a long i mean that was as well uh, um yes yeah. yeah, so, so my takeaways here and i'd be curious about all of you re-watching the movie in the present day or how how it's filmed um i think the acclaim for it was clear and i i won't talk too much about like all the di- individual songs because everyone had that conversation in in 2015 um the music is popular for a reason i'd be curious what uh numbers work better for you maybe in movie form or, or play differently but i think the standout things for me were that uh leslie odom jr not just a great singer and stage performer but a movie star like the camera he owns the camera and not everybody yeah. does, even though they're very talented singers. Not everybody on that stage really gets where that camera is going and knows how to play to it and, and 
really pushes the energy forward. And I think he, Leslie Odom Jr. could be a, a movie star based on this. Um, it was really an exciting performance. Like Broadway actors can act. It's shocking. They can do it. Uh, well, not all Broadway actors can act for the camera. Just I, I know what you're. I know what you're saying. Although I don't know if I put it exactly that those terms. But he owns a close up, and that is really one of the the highlights of watching this on Disney Plus, rather than seeing it even in the first row of the Richard Rogers Theater, which is not something that I ever had the opportunity to do, even though I saw it there. But in uh, the nosebleeds. Um, but, uh, you know, you watching his face when he sings, wait for it. You can really see, you know, how he is repeating this to himself like a prayer. Um, there's a lot of nuance and anguish in the performance that, you know, more than just seeing King George's spittle when he comes out, um, which is again, something that I missed with seeing drooling it live. out of his uh, mouth. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, those character details where you, you really can feel, uh, what the character is going through in a way that is unique to uh, a film medium um, and that is lost in theater, but I think is also something that theater actors need to do, if only for themselves and people who have particularly good sight lines in the theater, uh, in order to be in the character of the moment. I mean, you can't deny yourself getting as deep into the role as, as you would if the camera were an inch in front of your face. Um, but his performance definitely really pops in in the movie. Um, which I generally thought, like, I think I appreciate the movie not only for the ways that it offers you something that the theatrical experience can't, but also the ways that it offers something less than, uh, whether it's being irked by the laughter when you're sitting at home on your couch or um, the fact that, you know, you're just not getting the, the buzz of live theater because it doesn't feel at all conclusive. It doesn't feel like, you know, this is the definitive cast of Hamilton, but this version of it is just another link in the chain it doesn't preclude my interest in or diminish my interest at all in a more uh, conventionally adapted movie version of hamilton it doesn't take away from not that i'm you know screaming to go see hamilton for a third time in theaters when i know the soundtrack so well and i did know the soundtrack so well before i saw it the first time because i think that was really the only way that i would have gotten as much enjoyment out of it as i did the same way that I can, would only go to a concert of a band, you know, whose songs I was deeply passionate about. Um, Cause I'm not just going to want to stand there with a bunch of COVID breathing uh, uh, strangers um, for songs that are just making my feet sore. Uh, but the, um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked, I liked that it was imperfect in its own way, even though it's never going to age and it's sort of frozen in amber. Um and uh, I will say that, you know, just having to review it for work, the songs are stuck in my head. And also, uh, again, you know, I, even though I've already checked this box in the review segment to talk about having a child, Patch has mentioned his like four times. Dave has yet to mention his, but the still time in the segment um, is Baby Yoda. With the other uh, Baby Yodas on the Baby Yoda shelf. The, the song... Um, uh, why is the name of it escape me right now? Oh, blow us all away when Hamilton and Burr are both singing about their children uh, and the world, the country that they're trying to build for them. And blow us all away is obviously um, a bit of a play on words there, as so many things in the show are because of what will happen between Burr and Hamilton. Uh, and also Hamilton's son will be involved. Um, but watching that with my son on my lap and singing it to him, I was uh, moved anew. This is not a uh, particularly novel. Father of a child. Father of a child. Uh, and- parents won't give a shit but uh it is fun to re-engage with stuff 
that you enjoyed and the cured. One, in, in the, the one thing that I don't feel like I heard a lot about, I you know, people became famous after Hamilton. David Diggs is uh, a well-known entity okay. now. He's very, very funny as Thomas Jefferson in the show. I, he's a scene stealer. Um, I think I knew uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry from uh, The Good Wife, and it was from Wave. Of course, and it was cool to see her. Uh, just destroy her her big number in this. Um, I, I actually was surprised. Like no no one person gets a lot of material except I guess Leslie Odom Jr. as Aaron Burr. I didn't expect this to be such a Jesus Christ superstar musical. Um, I guess I didn't I didn't really have any idea of what the musical roots of this show were. I was not part of that conversation at all in 2015, so I didn't expect Aaron Burr to be this kind of Judas in the musical version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Big role, just as important, if not bigger. He's really the star. Um, I didn't expect it to feel like Amadeus. I didn't, I, you know, AP U.S. history has totally escaped me. I don't remember a lot of what happened in that time period. Especially, I want to read a great book. If any of our listeners have a great book recommendation for the years after the nation was established. I want to read all about that. Um, definitely here for recommendations. I feel like it's not something we get. We go right to the Civil War and everything right after a Revolutionary War in high school. It's, it was, you know, there's a lot to cover. Um, and I didn't really expect it to be so, and I should have done this because I know now that Limo Miranda is a huge rent head and a Jonathan Larson fan. And it, the, the whole show is like so rent and so Larson. I, I couldn't really believe the sounds of the, like, even the sounds of the songs are just really larceny and Sondheim-y, too. I, I didn't expect it to be so, such a Broadway musical. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of hip-hop and R&B influences in this, but it is just, it really is a big, showy, old-school musical, too. Um, so that was surprising. Uh, and, and And the one thing, this is my way roundabout way of saying this, I don't feel like I heard anyone talk about Christopher Jackson as George Washington. During that original, I only talk about Christopher well, you didn't Jackson on this and George Washington, show, and I, or I didn't understand I it at the time. Never even talked about the real George Washington. I always say, either in parentheses or under my breath, Christopher Jackson. He's as astonishing. I thought Ra- he was so powerful in his big final number. Wonderful. Uh, the part where you know George Washington, people, there was a whole round of, of cancellations. People uh, finally got wind of Hamilton and took offense to the fact that some of the founding fathers or really all of them were not taken to task in the musical for being slave owners um even though some of the misguided twitter threads i think were were suggesting uh i think i'd not listened to, to watch the show all that closely suggesting that it's time to lionize alexander hamilton when i was like the entire second act of that show is making him <laughs> out a uh, shitty work obsessed sociopath um but uh anyway the um it is beautiful, regardless of how complicated a character history may remember George Washington being. And of course, it is your prerogative as someone who is telling history story to uh, refract these people through the lens of the world as we live in it today. Uh, but when he sings about going to retire under a fig tree and the, enjoy the nation he's made, it really is mostly just the sonorous way that Christopher Jackson is singing about it. But man, it gets yeah, me every time. He has a beautiful voice and his presence is really commanding. I thought that was an underrated performance in the grand scheme of things. And then there's Lin-Manuel Miranda, who um, definitely, he, he knows all the words. It's great. Um, he knows, knows he all the words. He's, he's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Hamilton. I'm glad that I waited. I 
I'm, I'm fascinated by this show. So I had like three takeaway questions for you guys. Having seen, well, Dave, you hadn't seen it before, but you were very, you knew your stuff and David had seen it. So here, here's my first question. Do you think, and this touches on what you were just talking about, David, do you think that the show, I mean, the show is overtly political. It's dealing with the political history of America. Do you think that the show is political? Do you think it has a political message? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess my takeaway is that maybe it, it sounds wacky, but maybe it's not really like a really political musical. It's It seems that Lin-Manuel Miranda is fascinated by Hamilton as a character, as someone almost like you a creative parallel to himself or something. Do you know what happened on the night of your wedding? Uh, Yeah. Um, well, I can't really talk about it. Am I right? Actually, no, we all, we've all fell asleep. Nothing really happened. Your parents are listening to this. Uh, were you, do, were you, do you remember? Because no. I remember vividly. What happened? I think it wasn't your wedding or – no, it was your wedding because your wedding was right after the 2016 election. Yes. Uh, Mike, yeah. That was the night that Mike Pence went to see Hamilton <laughs> and the cast uh, read a message for him. This doesn't necessarily answer your question, but – uh, and I don't think there's really any doubt as to the current political biases and, and pro- uh, predispositions of the cast or most of the audience of a show of Hamilton. But um, I have always associated your wedding with, of course, our great vice president, Mike Pence. Um, but uh, I love my wife. <laughs> I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you all the same happiness. Jerry Maguire, baby. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand what you are getting at, uh, but I think it's probably a bridge too far to say the show is politically anodyne. I mean, I think I wouldn't go that it, way, it, it's broad in a way that it would have to be to cover hundreds of years of American history and span from then to now. But uh, Dave, what do you have to say on the subject? N- no, it's not political. Not political. It's, that's fascinating. It's I think that's fascinating. It's more about, um, I think, the process of being creative as an outlet that is uh, specifically um, juxtaposed against being violent to enact change. And the message of Hamilton ultimately is that he leaves thinking he could like fight his way out of something but ultimately he tries to write his way out and for better or for worse holds to his opinions uh whereas somebody you know like burr tries to sell his but i think it's more it is more amadeus than it is saying something about the political moment i think the most political thing it does is cast cast the show like it does which i think that was in its way, unfortunately, given the, the climate we live in, a political that that could be inferred as being political. Sure, um, but, but I mean, uh, it was then, and now it was. It is Hamilton, the historical, you know, Peabody winning. Only thing. political because we live in a world where people like Mike Pence need to go see Hamilton. But um, I, I wonder if there'll ever be a Hamilton about a podcaster who podcasts like he's running out of time. I don't know. Do you, do you think that podcaster would have a Twitter account where they mention that podcast they're on every week? No, but I'm enjoying this as becoming a running bit. It's only discouraging me from actually tweeting that. Uh, I have said in, in, in the, I have not said, but I have thought, uh, I've actually been on Twitter a lot less in honor of the great Matt Patches. <laughs> um, 
Although now that I know that he's not going to be there, it is Absolutely. all the more reason. Let me get it through the rest of but, my, uh, my questions here about Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Had it, you know, it's been uh, anyway. Yes. Um, so, OK, my, my question about political. My second question, and maybe there's not an answer to this. And I, I just want to say it out loud because I've been ruminating about this a lot um, since the five bloods came out. Um, I wonder if we think that Hamilton has had an immediate influence on other pop culture, if we think um, – Lin-Manuel Miranda has written like the hip hop musical. Will we get more of those? I'm not, I'm not sure we have, or do we think that he's paved the way for other people to emerge? I bring up the five bloods because I was thinking about Spike Lee and how when Spike Lee blew up, I feel like it didn't really open a lot of other doors for filmmakers of color. Like we don't, like Martin Scorsese got a lot of imitators and we got a lot of other white men who got to make gangster movies in the Martin Scorsese mold. We don't have a lot of people like Spike Lee, in my opinion, making films like Spike Lee and being idiosyncratic in and, and from their, their perspective, use funneling identity and politics and, and philosophy into movies the way Spike Lee does. There's not a tour like that. And now I'm drawing a line well, from them to like, then Malone Miranda. Is- you wouldn't be an iconoclast if there were an, you know, dozens of other people who spoke in the same language True. as Spike Lee does. But I think it's impossible to measure the impact that somebody like Spike Lee had on you know generations of filmmakers, generations of black filmmakers in particular. Um, you know, I, I, the ripple effect that his arrival. I guess um, I'm talking about more of an through. industry impact, though. Uh, I mean, he obviously is an influential figure. But, but I don't think you can measure that either. I mean, like who you you we don't really know if whomever was giving money to John Singleton to make Boys in the Hood. Sure. May, uh, I don't know where that money came from, but it, you know, if there was any, you know, some studio involvement, uh, if they would have been inclined to do that, if not for the success, just like these early movies and so forth. I mean, um, it's, and the chain doesn't start with start with Spike Lee either. So I, I don't really think it's a conversation super worth having just because we don't have a complete enough sense of the picture to know. But uh I, I, think, I might be I might know, be venting more of a frustration or I'm 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 worried that Hamilton will be seen as like this is the one that we did and why would we need yeah. other ones like it? Mm-hmm. Whereas shouldn't there be pop- lots of hip hop musicals? Shouldn't there be lots of, of I people think, of color I, I think, getting to create musicals in the space? I think it still goes back to the the casting is gonna primarily what that's gonna be. Like Hamilton existing and being popular makes it stupid to do something like, well, we're going to do a black Macbeth this season. It's like, don't even mention it. You're just doing Macbeth. So, like, I think if there's any step forward, it's been more of that. Um, but I don't, like, I don't know if... Well, again, I don't want to draw... I don't, you know, I, I think it would probably be wildly inaccurate to say that a show like A Strange Loop, which it was on its way to Broadway anyway before the pandemic began, uh, was only put into production wherever it was before. Maybe it was at the public. I really don't know shit about theater, but uh, because of Hamilton, but it's certainly Hamilton is, is, and Broadway is, I think from what I can tell. uh, And I say, this is someone who can afford to go to exactly one Broadway show a year. And who knows when the next time will be uh, a overwhelmingly white, space um that does that is definitely overdue for more inclusion and a greater diversity of voices i think uh that being said there by no stretch of the imagination is hamilton going to be the end of the line for that i think uh, uh it may not be a rap musical about thomas jefferson's life or chester allen arthur's to go with somebody who isn't in hamilton but is in dire with a vengeance um but i think 
yeah, I, 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 it changes slow to come to any of these arts. Broadway, I think most of all, given the process by which something gets there, um, I think the fallout from Hamilton will be felt for decades, not years. Um, and it won't be really, I'm not really in a position to, to measure it, but, um, uh, I do think that, you know, it, it helped pave the way for a more inclusive top of the line theater scene. Um, and I really do want to see a strange loop. That'll be the next show. <laughs> well, Hamilton, it's on Disney plus now. Everyone can see and, it. Oh, no, oh, to go full circle, oh, Spike Lee's. Uh, Spike Lee is really the the next person to have a film in this vein uh, because he is going to be uh, premiering his American Utopia movie, the David Byrne concert, uh, on Netflix later this year. A couple. I mean, I absolutely adore his film version of Passing Strange. If people have not seen that musical, if you want to watch something after Hamilton, um, what an amazing. It's an all-black cast, and it's by Stu, the you know the rock musician. Such an incredible musical, and Spike Lee did a phenomenal job of, of filming that. Wait, Dave, I have one more question. I know we're running so long, but here's a very important one, and it might okay. be a quick answer. Is there still room for a Hamilton movie after the filmed version of Hamilton on Disney Plus? Can it be a movie movie? Does this movie give you more faith that it's possible or there's something unique to do with a Hamilton movie or is this purely theatrical? There's something that would be lost if it was made into a movie. I don't want it to be a movie. Interesting. Why? I have bad news for you, Dave. I mean, I'm sure it can be, and I, but uh, uh, in order for that to happen... Uh, the movie's going to have to come up with a better hook uh, for whatever it is about. Uh, Because Lin-Manuel Miranda as Hamilton in this story that he's adapted about Hamilton is, uh, like Patch is sort of alluding to, just as much about the person who's singing it uh, as it is about the historical figure. And that person's medium is musical theater, so it was like birthed, I think, in its natural medium. It sure could make the. I, mean, I don't think it's impossible to make the leap over to TV, but like a lot of like filmed musicals, I don't think that anything's necessarily gained by that. They I think did it's cats. A, I think it's a rent. Cats became. I think a it's movie. a rent. No, I think it's uh, bad like cats. I think it's rent where it's right. just like I don't. There's nothing. Yeah. Seeing these people in actual New York and seeing these people on stage is there's not an additive. Right. That's quality. That's one of those that's things apt. where I. I really, really envy whoever gets the opportunity to direct the Hamilton movie. And I really would not want to be the person who gets to direct the Hamilton movie <laughs> because uh, it's, you know, on the one hand, part of it is kind of a, a slam dunk in terms of you have the music and the emotional power that comes with it. But on the other hand, the the standard for what you do with that, I mean, I, I the world would not be tolerant of a Rob Marshall or uh, <laughs> what the Tom Hooper um, version of this. I mean, you would really need to find a way. I think Dave's talking about a different kind of hook, but you would also need to find a, a different kind of visual language to make it worth your while, especially now that we have this, um, you know, direct emulation of the experience of seeing it on Broadway available to stream. So um, I, I look forward to seeing someone try, but uh, God's Although, now that I have seen, well, I don't want to say too much. We'll talk about the old guard next week hopefully or i can convince you all to watch it on netflix this week but Check your screen gina prince bythewood she'd be a good hamilton director she can make an action movie this movie is like an action this hamilton's like an action movie right 
Is that a good take? That's, yeah, that's an interesting take. That's my 2020 it, take. December 31st, I grabbed a beer, threw it up, said 2020 is my year, bitches. And I honestly thought that that was true until I gave this motherfucker like a month or two. This is getting kind of ridiculous. And I think we're going to call it there for this week's podcast. Uh, until next week when Katie Rich will be back to reel us all in. Where can people find more of your shit online? I'm Matt Patch, senior editor at Polygon.com, which propagates horrible game coverage uh, for the white cis masses, I guess. Aggros. Um, and you can find us, not doing that, on fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to the episodes and you can share them with your friends at Emerson. Um, I am David Ehrlich. I am the editor-in-chief of uh, Emerson College's Berkeley Beacon. Uh, is that really did you look that Emerson up? Paper? I did, but it feels <laughs> wrong. Um, uh, I'm reading an article right now that says most college newspaper sites are much to look at. The Berkeley Beacon is an exception. Good job. This poor everybody. guy who wrote a review. He likes this show. He did like it. Berkeley Beacon. Uh, that guy took me out to the fucking wood chipper, I know, and I love cringe. it. Uh, you know what? Uh, just like my old pal, Robert Frost. He likes us well enough to listen to the show and defend me to his, uh, to his friends. That's really all I need in a person. Um, what, what am I? Right. Emerson. Uh, <laughs> where can people follow you on Twitter and not hear about the show? Uh, David or... And where do you write film reviews that is not Letterboxd? Apparently they're not but supposed also, to go. What, what else do I write about on IndieWire right now? Video games, apparently. Video games! I mean, a month two of trying to wrap my head around the last, last part two thing piece. Will it ever come together? I don't know. Uh, stay tuned. You can find us all, most importantly. Uh, and really, let's bring it down for a second and be serious about this. On iTunes at Fighting in the War Room, where we encourage you to leave a review, and we will read it on air uh, and proceed to uh, reference that review uh, over the course of the hour that follows. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. I'm also on another podcast called The Storm of Lost Rewatch Podcast. Guys, this week, we are up to Stranger in a Strange Land, basically assumed to be the worst Lost episode. It's going to be a fun podcast. I'm sure. Come join us, the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast. You can also follow the entire show, this show, on Twitter at FITWR, where you can tweet at us about Hamilton and answer this week's lightning round question in honor of the old guard, or just old guard, in honor of old guard, who or what is the best... Is it, I think the, old is it the old Sorry. guard? I think so. Okay, the old guard. In honor of the old guard, who or what is the best quote-unquote immortal character. Send us those tweets. We'll be talking to you next week.